We say often that America is the next mission field, but are believers from other parts of the world really coming as missionaries to North America? We'll dive into that on today's show. But first, a word from ABWE President Paul Davis. ABWE missionaries are coming beside the lost and the hurting around the world. And through the Global Gospel Fund, they're pulling people from the darkness and training them as leaders. They're planting churches, and they're even beginning their own missions movements. You may already support one ABWE missionary. Would you consider a gift to the Global Gospel Fund to support all 1,000 of our missionaries? Thank you for that. Become a partner today at abwe.org slash global gospel fund. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications with ABWE. Joined as always, of course, by Scott Dunford, lead church planter at Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. And Scott, I was thinking back today on my time in college, doing some things that I don't have as much time to do now, doing street evangelism, taking evangelism classes, right? All the sorts of things that um, we, we can all do all the time, right? But there's also a season of life and Bible college and things like that where you do that more, right? You know, when you're single, when you're younger, you, you know sort of what I'm referring to. And I remember stopping one day and thinking, gosh, I don't know if I have ever been evangelized by someone I don't know, obviously by parents, pastors, things like that over the years. But I don't know if I've ever been on the receiving end of this. And I got to thinking about it. I can only think of one clear time in my life where someone who was a believer, not a member of a cult, not a Mormon, not a Jehovah's Witness, but Somebody, somebody who is an evangelical, Bible-believing Christian attempted to share the gospel with me. There's a very conservative, fundamental-leaning um, Baptist church nearby, uh, somewhere where we used to live. And I remember some young girls, no older than 12, a group of three or four of them, were going door-to-door giving out tracts and um, get, left a tract at our house. Um, the tract was sound. That's cool. Aside from that, I don't know that I've ever been the recipient of evangelism, cold contact evangelism. There was one time there's this guy in college, he, he, kind of an awkward personality. And um, we've got some inside jokes and he, he show up everywhere. He would just, like, no matter what restaurant you went to, what store you went to, what random conversation you were with, somebody on the sidewalk, um, it, it, I'll, I'll call him Bob. That's not his name. It was just, oh, okay. There's Bob. There's Bob again. It, it, Bob would show up everywhere. And yeah. I remember the first time I met Bob and he's he a very kind of, you know, nice guy, didn't totally understand social cues and it kind of like stare into you kind of, I think he's looking to see your soul. And I remember the first time that I met him, you know, he's kind of like, Hey, nice to meet you, Alex. Uh, so what do you believe? You know, very, very obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. kind of going in for the kill and uh, God bless him for that. But, uh, you know, besides that, I can't think of, a time where I've ever been the recipient of someone doing cold contact evangelism, somebody being a missionary here in the U.S., and yet we talk about that. What about you? Yeah, I, that's not been my experience. I feel like maybe because I'm older, you know, I've had multiple times with people, you know, trying to evangelize me and talk, to, which is great. Usually it ends up being like, hey, I'm a believer and, you know, here's my story, you know, maybe, maybe a dozen times in my life. I don't know. I haven't, I didn't really count it or I've never had that 
that clear moment like you did where you're like, what's going on and why isn't this happening more you, often? You just look unsaved. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's, you know, like uh, the way I'm dressing or something. I don't know. Um, you just have that, that, Christian, I, I went to Liberty vibe about you. Maybe I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, but but we do hear that a lot, right? I mean, we've even heard it uh, at ABWE. You know, America is the third largest mission field in the world. You know, well, I think that's because America is the third largest country in the world, population wise. Maybe that's why they say that. But um, but you know, there is an element to that. We certainly feel it, right? Where um, this isn't. Qu- even though Americans are religious and are go to church at a much higher rate than most everywhere else in the world, um, we definitely do see lostness all, all around us. I don't know if you've heard this before. Actually, I know because we actually talked about it before we came on air. I don't want people to think we're just winging this thing, but we've even talked a little bit about the fact of other countries sending missionaries here. Have you heard people talk about that, Alex, where, where they're like, did you realize that in Korea they're sending missionaries to America? Well, not that we've discussed this in our episode prep, not no, that we do no. any of that, but yeah, everything's completely winged. Yeah, <laughs> but it is wong, wong. winged wong. Yes, I have heard that claim. We're so lost now in the U.S., Canada, North America, uh, that other majority world nations are sending missionaries to us now. Um, I've heard that. I feel as though there's probably some truth in that. I can't say that I've personally witnessed that or that I have hard data on that. But yeah, that's a talking point. So I, we, you, you sent me an article this week that I think is worth talking about. Um, the brief, uh, the brief title is "Fire from Africa." Um, the 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 author is a man named Anthony Akazi. Um, and it was in the Baptist News where they're just talking basically about the rise of Christianity in Africa, the growth of uh, certainly the charismatic church in Africa, some of the, the factors that go into that, but also how it's it's spreading to America. And uh, the, uh, the, the full article title was Fire from Africa, the Influence of Reverse Missions Today. And so before we get into too much of the details of the article, I think the question alone or the, the title alone sparks some questions. Um, should there be missionaries to Africa? Is, is that even, um, is that misunderstanding what missions is about? Wait, you said, should there be missions to Africa? Did I say that? You did. I, yes. Uh, what about America? That's what I meant to say. Although should there be missionaries going to America? Maybe from Africa. Should Africans be sending missionaries here or should Koreans be sending missionaries to America? Or is that maybe a misunderstanding of what missions is about? What do you think? Well, I would not oppose it. I would not oppose it. So I'm not one who would say that you're only a missionary if you're going to an unreached people group in the most technical sense of you have no access to the gospel. So if the question is, is there gospel access in the U.S.? Yes. You know, even pick a, a very secularized part of the U.S. There's still gospel access some way, somehow. But that doesn't mean, in my opinion, that that group can't still be the recipient of missions. I do think that there is a component of missions that needs to be focused strongly on the absolute least reached. But I don't think that going exclusively to those who've never heard and who have no access, Romans 15, 20, um, I don't think that that's the only definition of missions, though it's, you know, if if missions is a blade, that's the point, 
right? That's the tip. Right. It's at least that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Spirit of God is free to work, of course, though. And and I, I do think that you look throughout church history. Ralph Winter has done some interesting work on this. And he actually frames church history kind of by which people, groups, and cultures gained the gospel and then lost it over time through the lens of the degree of missionary faithfulness that they had. And he analyzes things like the fall of the Roman Empire and and how the gospel went to the barbarians and to, you know, our progenitors, right? And in Europe and in in uh, in England in particular and and the Isles there, um, he he analyzes that through the lens of you know Western Roman Christendom had not been faithful missionally, and so God raises up you know the the Goths, the Visigoths, all and and yet within a few centuries they're Christianized too. He, he analyzes church history in that way. I I think it's a a tad reductionistic, but there's something to it uh, for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if if we were to do a podcast like this a few hundred years from now and find that Christianity did recede significantly in the West and, of course, exploded throughout the global South and the majority world, and that the U.S. and Canada were to continue to be the recipients of missionaries from places that traditionally we've sent missionaries to. So I'm out here in the Bay Area, as our listeners are well aware of. Um, I'm always bragging about the great weather and all of that. And you guys are always cringing at our politics, but, uh, there's a, there's a, something that I've seen out here that I had not seen, um, in other parts of America. One, the Bay area, uh, especially, um, Sam, you know, when I say the Bay area, I mean the San Francisco Bay area is the least churched region of America. It's the least Christian part of America. Um, there's fewer Christians and fewer churches per population than anywhere else in the United States. Um, but even with that, you know, going back to the question of like, does America need missionaries? Even with that, um, you know, here a good sized church might be 50 people. If you've got a full time pastor, you're doing really well. And a uh, hundred people in a church is not too small, you know, whereas in the South, a hundred people like, you know, that's a church that's dying probably here. It's a church that's like, when we were running about 40, I had a a pastor ask us, you know, what was our secret to growth? Because they were considered mega church compared to what's going on in their church. Um, You should, you should write a book on how to grow a church to 40 people. Yeah. Yeah. How to take it from 50 to 40. Um, But even with that, I mean, and, and even the fact that I do recognize that there's a, not a lot of gospel witness in the community in which I live, and there's a lot of lostness around me, you know, I, I still can walk to three or four gospel preaching churches. Even if I was to walk from my house to here, I would pass at least four churches um, on my way here in, in that mile and a half walk that I would take. So there is a gospel presence here. But I also, I've also met missionaries here. And, it, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, right down the road from me, there's a, a, a pastor who's from Afghanistan and um, and he and a, an Afghani American are ministering to the Afghan community in Fremont. So in one sense, you could say that that young man is a missionary from Afghanistan to America. I've actually had people who would definitely call themselves even missionaries. I had a young man knock at my door uh, from Korea and um, he he's ministering to Korean speaking immigrants that live in, in America. And most of those are quite old at this point. They came over, especially, you know, after the Korean war and some came over with the tech industry 
but um, he's ministering to Koreans. So there is an aspect in which I think a lot of missions in America is from the world to America, but but specifically targeting um, ethnic groups and people groups that live in America in large numbers and yet are pretty unreached. Um, and I, I welcome that. Like, I think that is fantastic and we need more of that, especially if it's connected to a strategy uh, to think about the children and the long-term ministry that those are still some things I'm wrestling with. Like how do we help these foreign language churches to, to also reach the next generation through partnership with, you know, English speaking churches. But I, I do think that's a great aspect of what missions to America could could look like. I don't want this, but I don't want it to distract from the fact that like the level of evangelization in America is just not at all comparable to what it is in some of the least reached countries in the world. Like we, we have we still have an abundance of resources here. I can think of examples of ABWE missionaries serving throughout North America who are a lot like kind of your neighbors that you described there. They are from people groups who would be unreached or at least least reached. Uh, and they've come from their countries of origin to here, but to reach other immigrants, expats, refugees um, of a similar people group culture to their own. Um, I, I do think that we um, we don't need to get into all of this, but I, I do think maybe we hurt ourselves sometimes by only defining missions in terms of crossing cultural barriers. What I mean is missions does often, almost always involve crossing a cultural barrier, but mission can also happen in real ways among sort of a homogeneous unit, right? Which we know the homogeneous unit principle has been misunderstood and probably abused, but at the same time, uh, I'm thinking of an ABWE worker from Bangladesh. Uh, I won't name him um, for for his protection, uh, but he's on the East Coast reaching other Bangladeshis um, in a major city. And is that not mission? That is mission. He didn't have to learn language. He didn't have to learn culture, but he's way more effective at it than I would be. And God is glorified in that. I saw a tweet just yesterday from someone saying every every Christian must be crossing barriers with the gospel where they're disobedient, essentially. And I, I would push back on that and say, is that at the core, really, of the Christian's calling? Is it to be about the gospel? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But but whether you're yeah. crossing a major barrier or not, right? The Apostle Paul was was a Jew reaching other Jews a, a lot of the time there. And uh, right. but, but, but God works through all of those things, too. The, the other thing underlying all of this, Scott, is what is happening in Christianity across the globe? We already talked about it. It's exploding in the majority world. And so we are seeing people from majority world countries, whatever term you want to use, two-thirds world, global south, right? Uh, but we're talking about Asia, Africa, Latin America, uh, largely. We're, we're seeing Christian movements there growing. And we, we've analyzed things like disciple-making movements and church-planting movements on this show before. But we would not deny that there is a huge growth of genuine Christianity in those contexts compared to we're not seeing that at the same rate in the U.S. and in Europe um, in these historically Christianized cultures. And while that's happening, there's a lot that we can praise God for. There's a lot where we need to look humbly and say, 
God, how are you rebuking us? Is this the Visigoths climbing over our wall, sort of, and we haven't been faithful to take out the gospel, but God has gotten out the gospel in other ways. A lot of these Christian movements are also the fruit of missions efforts from the West in the 19th century and 20th centuries. Uh, that is is coming full circle now at this point. But I think there's also yeah. a recognition that depending where you stand theologically, and Scott, you and I are both conservative theologically. We're both Baptists. Uh, we both um, have a God-centered theology. And we're seeing theologies emerge that are less than that. Yeah, I, I do think it's a helpful reminder in articles like this one are helpful reminder because we do get kind of caught in our little bubble of like, you know, and then and social media makes it worse, right? Where when I think about even the, my own uh, fellowships and, and associations that I'm part of, I get pretty excited about them, even though they're not perfect. Then I look online and realize, oh, maybe I should hate the, the people that I'm ministering with because there's some fraction over here doing something weird, you know, and, and Twitter kind of like and, and Facebook, these things kind of blow up some of these controversies and really, I think, so division in the church. And we don't, you know, that's not the point of this discussion. Um, but it is, it is helpful to kind of be able to step back and realize like God is moving around the world and, and his purposes are going forward. And it's easy to feel like we're getting crushed and defeated. But, but you, you know, you think about it, if anyone has studied warfare, you realize like maybe on one line, there was a, some higher casualties, but another, the other line was advancing. And, um, and in the end, the war was won or the battle was won. And yeah, there was still casualties. So I do think it's important for us to remember and be excited about the fact that, you know, there are places in Africa where the gospel is really growing and spreading in, in good, good ways. And there's places in Asia where amazing things are happening. And even in, even in, uh, in Europe, where we see so much darkness, there's little pockets of light in, in which we can be really encouraged and excited about. Um, you know, I'm, I'm having two really good conversations this week with with lost people in which they're very close to accepting Christ. And I have, you know, a young, um, you know, Muslim background woman that's really wanting to be baptized and she's put her faith in Christ. And, you know, we've got some, there are things that are happening that we should just be excited about and yeah. not be so discouraged about you know, sometimes the straw men that we see, you know, being um, worried about on the internet. Um, but I do think it's good for us to take a clear-eyed look at the health of the world Christian movement. And while neither you or I are, we consider ourselves scholars on the world Christian movement and knowing exactly the health of the church around the world. What, Scott, um, you don't want to sit in judgment over the entire global body of Christ? Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, I do. <laughs> I do want to. <laughs> that's the problem, right? I, I definitely do want to sit in judgment on everybody and everything that isn't exactly like me. <laughs> um, the problem fun. is, I'm. The pro well, yeah, except, you know, that's not my well, calling. And uh, that's yeah. only been given to one. Uh, and I think he can handle it without my help. Uh, I was say it sounds I, like a podcast in the making, actually. But yes, you're right. We should leave that to Jesus. If Jesus starts a podcast, I'm listening. I just want him to know that. <laughs> um, but uh, but we do see some things that are going on around the world that remind us that like sometimes the sometimes the church in other parts of the world is healthier than here. Um, I you know I my I close friends with a, a evangelical Methodist. Uh, uh, church in in the Harrisburg area and was very close friends with the pastoral staff and he's an evangelical guy loves Jesus 
the church is one of the few growing United Methodist churches in the country, especially in, in Pennsylvania. And, um, and I, I talked to him and heard them talk about the, the battles within the United Methodist church about, um, about same sex marriage and, and those kind of discussions and really what, what ended up saving, you know, and eventually the, 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 the church is going to be split into two, but what kept it from completely going liberal really was the African uh, bishops that showed up at the national convention and said, yeah. this is not Christianity. And, yeah. uh, and um, there are a lot of examples of where the, the, the Christians from around the world, the, the world Christian church is in some ways more conservative and healthier in some ways than, than parts of the American church. Because they're looking at their Bibles and they're taking them at face value, which is something that we often don't do. I, I was in the Methodist church for several years throughout high school, not to interrupt you, but yeah. I saw something very similar. You, you do see that, you know, if we would be tempted to say, well, look at that liberal mainline denomination and how they're apostatizing. And by and large, that that is happening. But maybe that's a 51% majority. Maybe there's a 49% yeah. majority in a lot of these rural congregations full of people who simply love Christ and uh, aren't necessarily being discipled correctly, but we can be strengthened by, you know, what is that quote? The best diet for a sick church is a missionary diet. Uh, that's very true. I haven't heard that quote before. I, I can't believe I haven't, but that's good. Probably because I butchered it. You probably have, but I butchered it so badly. Well, and there's a, there's an uh, an element I think too when you're ministering in very um, non Christian contexts in which you are just excited to find another brother or sister in Jesus and you know hey you hold the Apostles Creed and so do I you know you you believe in the deity of Christ you know like without saying the Nicene Creed you you affirm the Nicene Creed so do I you know like and and you realize okay there's a lot we have in common around the gospel and around some of the basics of Christianity that in really high pressure very dark situations you're just happy to have a brother even though maybe you know they they color a little differently in some areas than you do in America in some parts of America especially I think because there's you know, so much, op so many options, we end up fighting about really silly things and real, or yeah. in my opinion, silly things. And, and, but definitely very small, minute parts of Christian dogma, as opposed to what we might, what might see in other places around the world. So there is, there is health, but there also is uh, sometimes around the world, just like there is here, also unhealth. So is it, have you ever heard you know, Christians talk, Alex, about America and say, you know, like, I went on a mission trip and I just met the best Christians I've ever met. And if only American churches were just like they are in this country, things would be so much better. Have you ever heard that kind of a statement before? I sure have. There's this very rosy eyed picture of global Christianity as necessarily so much more vibrant than the Christianity that we see here at home for those of us who live in the West. And there's maybe some truth to that very oftentimes. There's also cultural differences, right? Well, this church here, they, they just pray for three hours nonstop. And here in the U.S., you know, it's a 15-minute prayer meeting. That, that very well may be true. At the same time, Ecclesiastes says, let your words be uh, few, <laughs> right? And when you, when you go into the presence of the Almighty, lest you incur guilt. 
uh, with your words, right? Uh, Jesus warns against heaping up empty phrases. So I'm, I'm just saying that there's cultural things happening. This is where this article that we started out addressing is interesting. So uh, there are yeah. a few voices in this article, first of all, addressing the fact that, it, yeah, Christian, Christianity in its most broadest conception is growing. So much of that is Pentecostal. So much of that is charismatic, hyper charismatic. Uh, there's there's one discussion here of a uh, a female Pentecostal prophet. Um, and, and there's a lot here that we can think of and, and realize that there's a form of Christianity growing throughout some contexts across the globe where it's coming in to a place where tribal religion, um, spiritism has been practiced, where there's a high emphasis on fear and power, on the spiritual, on the supernatural. And sometimes Pentecostal Christianity and and word faith uh, style Christianity, uh, I'm not saying all Pentecostals are word faith, but uh, can can come into that and can can fit in and actually conform to those expectations of I practice my religion in order to escape poverty, in order to maintain fertility, in order to bless my crops, in order to ward off evil spirits, all those sorts of things. And sure, at times you see the gospel break through those things in a powerful way. And other times you see this really insidious syncretism happening beneath the surface. By the way, if you've never heard our conversation with Conrad Mbewe on this same topic, we will include a link to that in the show notes because I think it's very relevant there. But to your question about, you know, always thinking that the, the better thing, the more spiritual thing is always happening outside of the United States, I do think we have to have wisdom and realize like every branch of Christianity, every member of the global body of Christ has its strengths and weaknesses, has its uh, areas of it's really sanctified and its areas of sin that it's still struggling with. There's one Nigerian gentleman who comments in this article that there's this perception that Africans and Nigerians in particular are so religious by nature. And he says, however, I don't share the opinion that Nigerians or Africans are much more deeply religious than Christians are in the West. Uh, and he says one of the reasons is emotion. I'm going to read this quote because I just find it really fascinating. His name is John Mark uh, Chaitnam. I might be mispronouncing his last name. He says, the practice of religion in Nigeria and America as a whole is characterized by emotions with little or no reasons that help in rooting the faith. A cursory look on how religion is practiced in Nigeria and even Africa as a whole lends credence to that position. Little wonder that Nigerians and Africans are ready to kill and die for religion. He says, in Nigeria alone, we've had so many religious crises that have claimed thousands of lives and destroyed so many properties and businesses worth millions of naria, that's the currency. Two major religions, Christianity and Islam, both claim to be harbingers of peace that have their teaching anchored on the love of God and neighbor, but in reality, they're far away from it. So, that's not a full endorsement of who he is. I don't know who he is. I don't know. There's two sides to all of this, of course, right? I'm sure there's many African congregations and Nigerian congregations that are far more pious than we are, and we ought to we ought to be rebuked by that. But at the same time, I think there is this necessary humility um, in recognizing we have our foibles, so do other parts of the body of Christ, and we can't live in envy. Uh, just like just like your member of your church shouldn't be envious of the worship leader, right? The the foot shouldn't say to the hand, oh, I wish I was a hand. I don't think we should do that globally. I don't think that 
it's necessarily trusting God and his providence to sit around saying, oh, Christians in our culture are so bad. We're not emotional enough or we're not sincere enough. Look at the Christians in that part of the world. Well, maybe, but God has placed us here. Let's figure out what faithfulness looks like and learn from them. Let's learn from them, but let's also figure out what faithfulness looks like in the country and the culture where God has placed us by his sovereignty. Yeah. You know, another part in that article, it talks about the fact that the sheer numbers of, of adherence in Africa is pretty astounding. Um, Cause make 30% of the world's evangelicals, um, uh, 20% of the world's Pentecostals and about 15% of the world's Roman Catholics are in Africa, which is interesting. And he, he also talks about, um, in the article about the the fact that um, uh, there there's such a spiritual awareness of people there, which I I think that you know different cultures will have different probably strengths and then some weaknesses. If we believe in common grace, which I know not everyone believes in common grace the same way that I was I'd be using it. I'm using it kind of an Abraham Kuyper type of way um, to recognize like you know God's hand, God's sustaining work, and in, in culture even in broken cultures um, that, that we see in, in Africa, for instance, because of this article, way this article is framing it, there is an awareness of the supernatural. They said every African knows the supernatural is going on and they're, they're around witch doctors and shamanistic practices and, and things like that. And that's a very much an awareness. And so Christianity um either gets shaped by that or shapes our understanding of that. And I think that there, in some ways there's an advantage to the typical African because they, they're not oh, yeah. wrestling with the question of at Europe right now is, is wrestling with like, is the supernatural just, you know, you believe right. in a cosmic fairy, you know, like right. we've heard people like accuse Christians of that. Like, well, uh, most of the world believes in the supernatural. Isn't it weird that you don't, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, yes. And, um, so there's an advantage in that they're not dealing with a naturalistic worldview. They're dealing with a supernatural worldview, which is in some ways, you know, easier to easier to show the gospel from that. But without proper discipleship and training and and understanding the word of God and, and how the word of God relates to those same questions that they're wrestling with, it can easily just devolve into like what Comrade Mbewe was talking about. Um African tribal religion with Christian words, you know, around it or, or Haitian voodoo, which still talks about saints, you know, and Christianity, it looks like Catholicism, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, spirit worship, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's magic. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, very pagan, um, even though it looks like Christian and the other side, do we want our Christianity to look, uh, like a very, uh, very naturalistic, um, you know, thing with some Christian lingo sprinkled on that, like that's a concern as well. So while we can learn from the international church and while we want their influence and we need to be working together, also not romanticizing what's happening around the world, but rejoicing in what God's doing, learning from perspectives that we probably, uh, wouldn't, you know, could even be blind to in our own from our own perspective, but, but, but bringing it all into submission to the word of God and to the, you know, when I say the tradition of the, of the church, I don't mean that in some kind of Roman Catholic way, but recognizing that, that, you know, we're, we're part of a heritage of, of Christian belief that, that we're thankful for and proud of and, uh, and informs our, our theology. 
what I'm about to say may come across as very paternalistic. And so I want to give the disclaimer. I don't mean it in a paternalistic sort of way. I do think there's such a thing as a biblical paternalism. The Apostle Paul says, you have countless teachers in Christ, but you have few fathers. So I do think that in the context of missions, parentage, right, is it matters, right? Having a parental love for those whom you're reaching matters. And God worked and launched this thing called the modern missions movement, starting in England, um, starting with some people like the, the British, the English particular Baptists, people like William Carey. And we see that the fruit of that um, eventually led to where we're at now, to where some of these countries are more reached than we are, are exploding with Christianity more than we are. But with my relationship with my son, okay, that's where the paternalism thing comes in. in my, my relationship with my son, there are times where his childlike faith is a rebuke to me and an encouragement and a challenge. I see that he's much more willing to start spiritual conversations with strangers than sometimes I am. And sometimes that's an encouragement to me. And then there's other areas, of course, where his faith is far less mature than mine. My son is eight for reference. And in, in much the same way, I can look at him and be encouraged. And I can also look and say, well, but I'm, I'm glad that's not where I'm at spiritually. And God has given me different things that I'm working through in my sanctification, just as he's given to my son certain things that he's working through in his sanctification in this season of life. I think you can almost say the same thing globally through global Christian movements. You know, there's so much that our Christian movement, which has matured, I'm not saying we're mature, but I'm saying we've matured over time. Our Christian movement can learn and be benefited by all of these new Christian movements that are starting. At the same time, they're going to be facing problems that our Christian movement dealt with hundreds of years in the past. And we can look and say, well, we figured that one out already. And God is challenging us in these ways instead. And this movement will will learn those things later on in its history. And we can rest in the sovereignty of God that he has brought us to this point, you know, the good work that he's continuing at us will will be completed at the day of Christ. Yeah, and that, I think that's the beauty of being part of of the church, right? That I mean, I do think, you know, regardless, I mean, there's lots of different opinions about even the question of paternalism, but there there is an aspect I agree with you where um, we we are in a stream of of Christians that have influenced us, you know, and I think we need to be careful that we don't develop an attitude where because of our Americanness or, or because of our education level or, you know, God forbid, because of our racial backgrounds or whatever, that we have some superiority. But we do stand in a stream, you know, of, of, of our faith has been helped and formed and grown by, you know, Augustine the African and Tertullian the African and and uh, and Paul the Jew and you know Barnabas the you know the Jew from Cyprus and you know the early uh, the early Greek Church and Roman Church and and then even as as we get to know these other Christians from Africa and from Asia and from Europe and then from America and South America they're influencing us and the way that the the church is is growing and it's dynamic and the Holy Spirit is working through them and. And we we can benefit from it. So we need to be aware. We need to re- realize there's false teachers, but we also are aware that we are not individuals alone standing here. We're we're part of the Church of Jesus Christ. So let's bring this full circle, Scott. You asked me this question at the beginning. I'll ask you: Should churches from Africa, Asia, Latin America, right, 
these budding, growing, rapidly reproducing churches that we hear so often about? Should they be sending missionaries to the Bay Area and San Francisco, to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania? Uh, and if so, to do what? Just my opinion. Uh, sure. You know, my opinion is one, uh, places with healthy churches need to send people to, you know, cross, cross borders, cross cultures. And I would say like, for instance, coming to the Bay Area, yeah, like we need, uh, we, I, I need Chinese missionaries. I need Turkic Christians. I need Persians and, and Indian Christians to come to the Bay Area and help evangelize people that are, speak their own language. Um, but also in that process, there's a huge advantage to me as I'm learning some things that, that about the Christian faith from angles that I hadn't really thought about before and the way other, you know, other faith traditions and, and church backgrounds are praying differently, you know, or the way that they are, um, you know, how they live out body life, you know, and the care of their people in a different way, um, how they're thinking through some of those things. And I think that's something I've seen modeled well at ABWE. I know that they're not the only agency that does this well, but like the, the idea of partnership and, and not just partnering of like, you know, what do you need? Let's meet it. But like, come be part of a global consultation when we're talking about these problems together and letting some of these uh, voices that are, that are, they don't, that don't sing on Sunday in English, you know, and uh, that are coming from a different, um, a different culture, a different country, um, speak into those things so that we're working together and not just um, kind of imposing, you know, our, our way of thinking on everyone else, but letting, letting, letting the church minister to us too. Well, and that's my thought. I, I agree with that. And at the same time, is America mission field? Absolutely. But we can't lose sight of this issue of gospel access. It's central. I'm not saying that faithful missions only goes yeah. to the unreached. But if missions is this blade, this sword, the tip of that is always going to be, you know, those who have never heard, right, that Paul talks about in Romans 15. We can't lose sight of that either. I don't think anyone is in this particular conversation. Uh, but I think there's a humility here, too, and a, a joy in recognizing. And I've experienced this. Maybe you've experienced this. But I've got more in common with um, a, a Nigerian person that I might come across who has a genuine, thriving relationship and faith in Christ than I do with my culturally identical next-door neighbor who might happen to be completely secular, right? Yeah. But we, you know, our, our kids, you know, go to the same sporting events, right? All those sorts of things are similar. But I've got more in common. And that's a beauty because we talk so much about uh, issues of race and ethnicity and nationality so much right now. But thinking about like that type of unity is something the church has already. And it's a beautiful thing. We should not get over that. That's that's always exciting. Uh, I cherish that. I love that. And the Lord uses that like it's it was horrible to me that when I was in Asia, you know, my Americanness and my whiteness, which I don't even like that word, but like my Caucasian uh ethnicity Caucasianity did d gave me opportunities to stand out in ways it was an attraction at times you know but I also know that on the other side of it um that in different settings other ethnicities are the attraction and we, we even saw that you know and you see that in acts where at times like Paul's citizenship plays a part in his ability to get out of a situation at, at times you know there's a novelty to what's going on uh, with someone in their ethnic background or their their re former religious background that that either highlights and gives an opportunity for the for the pr promoting of the gospel and there are some definite some things that where you know 
in our current cultural milieu where God may use someone from, you know, a different ethnicity um, because it's, it's going to be harder to critique and maybe in some ways. And so I, I think we, you know, we delight in seeing the unique and creative ways that God uses our, our differences in the, in what countries we come from, what languages we speak, uh, the melanin, the melanin, uh, uh, color, yeah, melanin. I want to say melatonin, but that's that's what puts you to sleep. You know, the, <laughs> our, our melanin tint to our skin, and how God uses those things to advance His kingdom and His glory. And we should be delighting in in God's creativity and using uh, His His good creation to to advance the gospel. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Milieu. That's quite the word there. Our current cultural milieu, Scott. You know, sometimes I surprise you with my you know learning. <laughs> Your, your book learning. Much reading has made you mad. Sometimes. <laughs> well, let's wrap. We want to hear what you think. Email alex at missionspodcast.com with your questions, your thoughts, your suggestions. Before you leave, share this episode with a friend. Remember to leave us a positive rating and a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. And until next time, thank you for listening.